1: Hello and welcome to LawPod. My name is Geoffrey So and I'm a first year law student here at Queen's University Belfast.
0: Hi, my name is Amy and I'm a second year law with politics student at Queen's.
1: Human rights is a really important topic. We see this in the news with critiques about UK's immigration system, asylum, counterterrorism plans. But besides these debatable topics, a subject intersection we sometimes overlook is human rights and public health risks.
0: Today, we are joined by a new Queen's University researcher from the law school, Dr. Patricia DeBroska. Patricia is a member of the Health and Human Rights Unit and also a Mary Curie Fellow. Today, she will be guiding us on a conversation about her research project, Themis, which investigates judicial approaches to the conflicts between individual rights and public health risks in the context of global pandemics.
1: Hello, Patricia, and thank you for joining us today.
0: Good afternoon. I am glad that I can be here today.
1: So, Patricia, to start us off, would you tell the listeners about why you're interested in this field of human rights and public health risks?
2: So, my interest in the public health and human rights, the intersection of those two areas, uh, comes, uh, broadly speaking, from my uh, interest in uh, the intersection between the areas where science and law cross-cut. So... I'm very interested in all the fields where uh, non-legal factors uh, pose challenges to law and legal regulation, to the law discipline, and in those fields where the law needs to respond to challenges posed by scientific evidence or by the non-legal notions that uh, that need to be regulated by those fields, for example, notions of risk, risk assessment, risk management. So I have always been interested in those fields. And for example, my previous research um, dealt with EU governance of biotechnology and genetically modified organisms. And now I um, am here at Queen's for the the new project, which uh, concerns the risk to public health and human rights approaches.
0: And Patricia, could you tell us a little bit about your research um, that you're involved with here at Queen's?
2: So my current new project at Queen's University Law School at the Health and Human Rights Unit is called Themis, and it investigates, as you already introduced, the judicial approaches to uh, the potential conflict between uh, individual human rights and uh, risk to public health in the context of Uh, infectious diseases that have a potential to develop into global pandemics. So recently we have experienced, I mean, the the world has experienced the development of many new viruses as uh, SARS or Zika, but we also have all diseases that have a a pandemic potential like um, tuberculosis or measles. Uh, because of uh, increasing, for example, increasing public uh, um, uh, reluctance to vaccinate children. And recently we have um, heard a lot about uh, measles outbreaks here in UK or in in Poland, where I come from. So what I want to look at in my research is the case law, the jurisprudence uh, judgments, where courts involve into the decision into this into decision making on what we need to protect public health or individual rights. Because in those kinds of situations, public health measures are very likely to intrude upon individual rights. Uh, rights need to be limited. And the question is how we uh, realize that and how we implement the public health protection so that the rights would be protected at the same
1: time. Of course. I mean, we see like influenza also happening every single year. And often we really see these pandemics and even small-scale diseases causing big issues for human rights. Um, They're often seen at odds, especially with human rights. Um, Within your framework, you do note about risk within rights. What is this framework about? If you can tell our listeners a little bit about it.
2: So I have decided to use the conceptual framework which was proposed by uh, Theresa Murphy and Noel Whitty in their piece uh, in 2007 Medical Law Review, uh, Risk uh, Within Rights, because this framing allows us to depart from this common risk versus rights framework. So uh, this risk within right conceptualization allows us to... Uh, look at, at risk as a component of human rights law. And uh, what uh, the authors argue is that um, risk can be addressed within the current human rights framework uh, within the already existing human rights structures who, which accommodate risk in the sense of lawful limitations Uh, And this uh, framework, I think, is very well fitted for the potential, when we look at the potential conflict between fundamental rights and uh, risk to public health, just because it does not dismiss risk in favor of rights and it allows us to uh, inquire and analyze um, non-legal factors within the human rights Uh, framework and normative analysis. At the same time, uh, we do not uh, place uh, neither risk nor rights at a disadvantage. We try to look um, at uh, both protection of public health and protection of fundamental rights uh, in a sort of integrative way.
1: I mean... The great thing about this new framework is this framework actually puts in perspective that we can finally look at things, perhaps not against each other, but maybe working together. Um, One of the things that actually really jumped out about your research that I thought was really interesting was the emergency preparedness factor. And how is that different from your run-of-the-mill public health risk? And why is emergency preparedness specifically so important?
2: What I am trying to argue, what I will be trying to argue in my research is that we Uh, need to uh, create a fair emergency preparedness framework for public health. And what I mean fair within this context is that we, as I said before, do not dismiss rights, individual rights in favor of risks. And uh, let me go back to emergency preparedness laws and explained that they were responding to the increase of of threat of global pandemics caused by new or all infectious diseases. But uh, their aim uh, in uh, uh, preventing the spread of diseases is uh, combined with the treating of public health as a sharp security issue. And we often hear in the media about war on infectious diseases or combating infectious diseases. And the result of this framing is the politicization of medical knowledge and politicization of risk in the context of treating of patients and potentially infected persons or health workers or researchers uh closely to the treating of terrorist suspects so we put their rights their individual rights as a um, big disadvantage in comparison to uh, security of health or in response to security of health and then um, as a result there can uh, occur a lot of violations of of uh, rights including um, right to life and personal integrity, personal liberty, medical privacy, uh, specific patient rights in terms of forced treatment. And um, if we would like to ensure a fair, as I said, fair pandemic preparedness framework, we need to uh, take all these factors into account. And my project tries to react to these facts and uh create the first uh comparative map of judicial standards so that is that is why i'm looking uh into the case law i will be analyzing case law and judicial approaches to those uh situations where uh there is a conflict between uh public health protection and the protection of individual rights and we can give example of uh exemptions exam, exemptions from mandatory vaccinations for example But uh, uh, much more striking and appealing examples uh, regard quarantine measures and uh, restriction of travel or restriction of personal liberty.
0: So to build upon that then, Patricia, um, we should look at a case which happened recently. We've seen cases globally where human rights have been suppressed during health crises. One story regarding the Ebola crisis would be the Casey Hickox case. She was quarantined when she returned home from Sierra Leone. So just to allow our listeners to paint a bit of a picture of how she felt, here is a quote of her frightening experience. My temperature, heart rate and blood pressure are normal. I have no signs or symptoms of Ebola. They tested me for Ebola last night, even though I did not meet any criteria that would meet such a test, although I tested negative. There is no sign I will be able to leave this plastic prison tent. I am being held captive in a tent due to fear and politics. Science and public health principles are being ignored.
1: That was an excerpt from Caught Between Civil Liberties and Public Safety Fears, Personal Reflections from a Healthcare Provider Treating Ebola by Casey Hickox in the Journal of Health and Biomedical Law. That little excerpt, we can see that Casey Hickox came back from Sierra Leone and she went to New Jersey first, in which she was quarantined for three days in a plastic tent. And after three days quarantine in New Jersey, um, she was moved to Maine. And moving from the different jurisdiction, the laws um, quite significantly changed as well, too. Instead of being forced into what she calls a prison tent, she was asked to have a voluntary quarantine in her own home. She decided to not quarantine herself and take a stroll. As such, the state of Maine Department of Health and Human Services obtained a temporary court order for forced home quarantine. A state trooper was parked across the street for her, what we can say, her protection. Um, This is a very, very interesting case because, you know, even though it was a voluntary home quarantine, the moment she decided that she did not want to make it voluntary anymore, it was a forced home quarantine with a court order. Patricia, would you be able to comment a little bit about this case and tell us about what legal principles were at play?
2: So first, I need to emphasize that this case is a really instructive example of all the dangers that I have mentioned uh, in terms of uh, securitization of health and politicization of risks and problems of inadequate, inadequate dealing with health emergencies and uh, intrusion upon uh, fundamental rights. And it is also a great example of individual bravery and, in fact, adequate protection of rights acknowledged by a court when it was reviewing uh, public health powers. And uh, it is worth mentioning that um, Cassie Hickox was probably the only one brave health carer who did stand up uh, for her rights against public health uh, quarantine after the Ebola outbreak in uh, uh, Africa at that time. Uh, and uh, there, is, uh, there are reports uh, uh, that prove that there were probably several dozens of health workers quarantined legally or partly legally at the time in the U.S., but uh, she was uh, the only one uh, who decided to uh, go to a court with her case. And in fact, the court did um, did uh, acknowledge that her right to medical privacy and uh, due process rights were uh, not adequately protected in terms of releasing her from the quarantine. So the court... Uh, the judge uh, in uh, Maine decided that there is no sufficient evidence uh, for this type of restricted public health measures, that it would be enough to allow her for active monitoring, so checking of her temperature and checking her for the symptoms. But as long as she's asymptomatic, she does not need to be uh, quarantined. And... um, After uh, a year, she also decided to sue the um, New Jersey governor for the violation of her right of medical privacy and due process. And in fact, the case resulted in a settlement. And uh, part of it was uh, creation of uh, sort of a guideline in New Jersey that everyone quarantined there uh, needs to be given prior notice uh, of any hearings and uh, be able to receive communication and uh, and uh, and hire a lawyer uh, in the case of uh, of the uh, decision of a quarantine. And it was not the case in uh, in her case because uh, she was uh, kept in the tent in the hospital in New Jersey. I think already for a day and a half before she even received legal notice and justification. At the same time, governor has already uh, declared that she's a public health emergency and declared that she's contracted Ebola and her mother was in panic because she got to know from the news that her daughter uh, probably is ill with Ebola while she was still sitting there in the tent and feeling well and asking herself, why am I here?
1: We can definitely see how fear has a big play in this. Um, Specifically, looking at her, Casey didn't really have a reason to be or lawfully restricted in any way. Um, She did not show any symptoms. And it's really interesting to see how, despite this, she was still quarantined. Now, I do want to look at some of the critique, actually, on this case. We see a lot of academics um, on the camp of helping uh, human rights and on the other side of saying that this is a big public um, health risk. Many people say that this case shows a big win for rights but puts at direct odds with a loss for public safety. What do you want to say about that?
2: I would acknowledge that uh, U.S. uh, scholarly uh, community and U.S. media as well is uh, much polarized on this issue because we can see the two groups that um, claim uh, contrasting opinions. First uh, is very much pro-individual rights and they believe that uh, we can protect public health and acknowledge the protection of individual rights at the same time and that this to uh, do not contrast. But there is also a big group of scholars and also of politicians who believe that public health safety should be treated as a sharp security issue and they um, of course believe that uh, people have rights but they really uh, prioritize the the public health and then uh, Uh, they probably criticized uh, the brave judge who decided that uh, public health measures were not proportionate in the case of uh, Mrs. Hickox. And uh, it should be recalled here that the judge, in fact, uh, in uh, in his decisions was talking about misconceptions and misinformation and bad science and bad information and public fear that is there. So he acknowledges that. But uh, his, decision was apparent, his decision was apparently not driven by the, but bad science and, and misinformation and public fear.
0: So if we look a bit at the scope of your project, Patricia, you mentioned there about uh, the judicial system, particularly the judges within the U.S. jurisdiction. So why did you include the U.S. in your scope of research?
2: So when I started my research in this field, I immediately noticed an imbalance between the EU and U.S. research outputs. So there is much more uh, legal and non-legal scholarship uh, focusing on the relationship between public health protection and human rights in the uh, U.S. context, especially post-911. There is a big body of literature that contrasts um, public security and individual rights. And then within that uh, comes also risk of global pandemics and uh, as a public health security issue. And as I said before, we notice the contrasting claims in the US scholarship, while at the same time in the EU context, we don't really see that much of research outputs within this field. So I thought it would be good to dig into this context and compare it with the US. And then uh, the second aspect concerns different approaches to risk uh, in the EU and in the US. So EU is traditionally precautionary in the field of food safety, for example, while US is really not. So for example, there are um, no labeling requirements for many food products and food ingredients when you compare it in the e- with the EU context. While on, this, uh, while on the other hand, in this particular context, U.S. seems to be much more precautious in the context of public health security.
1: That's very interesting. And to see also that this is going to give you a lot of more information to actually apply back into your research, it may be a little bit messier given the polarizing views that we're seeing in the U.S. Do you see any complications with incorporating U.S. law into your research?
2: Well, it is definitely a challenge because I need to learn a lot about uh, the U.S. system and public health uh, system as well, as well as uh, protection of civil rights. But it is equally very exciting to learn while I'm reading. And also, I am not totally unfamiliar with the U.S. system because I have uh, experience experience from previous projects where I was involved uh, in uh, mm, together with some U.S. colleagues on uh, projects on experimental governance, which were comparing uh, different pol- policy sectors within the EU and the U.S.
0: So, Patricia, given the wide range of jurisdictions that you will be researching over the next little while, what are your prospective goals uh, for the future, and do you see your research? possibly influencing emergency preparedness? So the key
2: objective of the research is to prepare, hopefully in the form of a monograph, a map of judicial standards, standards of review uh, in those cases, and to prepare a um, analysis which will show how judges really how judges really approach risk and scientific evidence and individual rights in those cases and while having this map I hope to influence possibly future judicial decisions because judges rely very often rely on um, on other judgments and we see a lot of judicial dialogue in the field of uh, especially in the field of of, uh, human rights. So I hope to be able to influence the the future uh, pandemic preparedness and uh, future fair pandemic preparedness in the global context. Although, of course, there is no guarantee that judges would read my book (laughs) if it's there. (laughs) But uh, this is my hope.
1: I really do hope they do take a look at your research too, because these... Pandemics can happen on a dime, they can happen quickly, and being able to fairly and lawfully react to these with limitation human rights is going to be critical for the future. We don't really know when a pandemic is happening, but hopefully your work will be able to guide us in the future. Thank you. You have been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University Belfast. This episode was produced by Jeffrey So, Amy Caldwell, Daniel Spence, Sarah Millman, and Richard Somerville. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle. Law Pods funded by the Queen's Law School and Queen's Annual Fund. Thanks to Dr. Debraska for guiding us through her research today. You can follow us on social media or on Twitter at QUB LawPod. For more information, you can visit us at our website at lawpod.org. And please take a look at our show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. This was LawPod.